This is Holy Week, and Bishop Caggiano is going to help us reflect on this important week. Prepare for the Triduum, tell us some stories of Holy Week uh, from when he was a kid and also as a parish priest, um, and really reflect on the several days that we have ahead between now and Easter. We are on the radio at 1350 AM and 103.9 FM, and on your phone, with the Veritas mobile app. Get the app at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or veritascatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities. The reach is broad, the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee, and it's my great pleasure as always to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, it's always good to see you and chat with you today, especially because we're going to be talking about the heart of our faith, right? which are yes. the great mysteries of Holy Week. Yes. But it's just hard to believe we're, we're at a Holy Week, isn't it? We are in the midst of Holy Week. Holy cow. <laughs> You're holy cow. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just it's like Lent. Lent for me, well, I'm going to ask you, so you prepare your answer. For me, this Lent has been extremely grace-filled. First of all, I've never been busier, but I didn't feel busy, which is a grace in and of itself. It has been, I, I guess now COVID is over and there are signs that the church is, is really beginning to revive itself. Our numbers at masses are going up and I hope to have some information in early May to share with everyone as I will share with the pastors what those numbers are. Anecdotally, Palm Sunday, the numbers were through the roof in some parishes right? All hopeful signs. And I was in seven different places Palm Sunday weekend. Wow. Right? Between Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But, but, I, but I guess peace, the gift of peace is not dependent on the activity of your life, hmm. which is very interesting. It's a yes. God-giving gift, right? To be able to be... Um, to rest in his grace, right? And yes. so Lent has has been a great blessing for me because despite the fact that I keep telling Debbie, it can't get any busier per se, <laughs> but nonetheless, it has been peaceful, right? And therefore, my prayer has been, has been quite, um, I would say edifying is not the, not the right word. It has been... Um, enormously fruitful f for me um i've had i this is not self-confession but i have felt the presence of the lord in an intimate way it, it's just been very refreshing now what about you wow. how's how's your lent been well uh so mine has been i i think a little bit uh different mine has definitely been uh frantic and filled with activity as yours has been excellency mm -hmm. um mine has been full of opportunities 
to trust and grow. And I didn't really take advantage of all those opportunities, I don't think. But this is Holy Week. We're entering the Triduum and uh, I am buckling down. I'm going to double down and and do everything to make, I can anyway, to make this really. Right. Well, I'm going to make a cheap, cheap plug here. So forgive me for doing that. But, you know, the burden of carrying Veritas uh, really rests on the board shoulder and your shoulder. And there's always a need for financial help, right? From those who are listening from to this podcast and anyone else who wants to continue to allow EWTN radio um, to make the effect, which I think is, is a tremendous effect in the lives of our people. So we were chatting before we started taping, you know, that there's always issues with money for, for everything in the church. So that's a cheap plug. For those of you who are listening... <laughs> I mean, if, if in your charity, you want to, to, to remember Veritas, it would be extremely helpful, right? Okay, commercial over. <laughs> now, um, so Holy Week. I thought to myself, you know, we haven't really chatted, you know, for personal reminiscing stories for a while. We've had some great guests, tremendous yes. guests. We've, we've tackled some, some interesting theological questions. Um. One thing before we go to Holy Week that keeps coming up, and it actually came up this weekend with a number of people who asked me about, well, what do I think of the German synodal process? What do I think, mm. even in the last presentation? So mm-hmm. for the sake of those who are listening to this podcast and for those who are just interested in general, uh, it, it is very clear to me that what is going on in Germany right, is in the end not either helpful or faithful to what a synod is. It is not helpful because the positions that some of the bishops have espoused are clearly contradicting Catholic faith and Catholic doctrine and Catholic practice. So it's not, it's right. Whether or not it's schismatic or not really depends on whether or not they actually follow through on what they're saying. And this, I do not know if they've done that or not. But it's not synodal process, and we've talked about that. So just to make clear again, because this seems still to be, I think people need reassurance. Uh, that is not what the Holy Father is intending. It's not what the Universal Church is intending. And why they are doing this in this misguided attempt that suddenly and somehow, if you make these changes, people will come to Mass. Let me be the first one to tell them that is not going to work at all, ever. It never has and never will. So that's the second commercial. We only have two commercials today, but that's the second <laughs> commercial here. Just no, but can I say, Excellency, mm-hmm. thank you so much for saying that um, because it is confusing. It is troubling to see mm-hmm. that in the church, especially from princes of the church. So thank you for thank you for saying that. Yeah, no, you're welcome, and I and I think it's a service to the people of our own diocese who were kind enough, you know, to come and ask me. More than once this weekend. So I thought, you know, we just have to make it as clear as possible so that people understand where the church is. And the other thing, too, is I think we need to remember that there's a difference between the music and the static. We don't listen to static. Static disappears over time. But the music endures. Now, if the music is the beauty of our faith, it's the beauty of what Revelation has taught us, our life with Christ, the communion we form as the baptized, our loyalty and unity to, to Peter and, and the, the magisterial 
of the magisterium and the larger church. That's the music. The static every once in a while comes up and it will disappear over time. The difference between our age and earlier ages is that we hear more static because social media and the internet allows us to know what in former ages no one would have known and cared to know, right? Right. Yes. So yep. that's another thing too I think people have to keep in mind. Okay. So now let's go back to Holy Week. So I'm going to ask you a question. So, you, so be prepared. Okay. <laughs> All right. So what's your earliest memory of Holy Thursday, Friday, Saturday or Sunday? Wow. Um, what's my earliest? I don't, I don't know what my earliest is. I'm sure when I was younger, a really young boy after first communion that I had served mm -hmm. at those masses mm -hmm. uh, and, and the Friday, good Friday service. Mm -hmm. But I don't remember what my, the, the, the most, the strongest memory that I have mm -hmm. is not necessarily my earliest. It is, and it's happened several times, walking into the church on Good Friday and mm -hmm. seeing the empty tabernacle. Mm -hmm. And the, I, I mean, every time, every year, I'm surprised at how much that really hits me. Mm -hmm. But that's that's probably my strongest memory of oh, God, the Triduum. Yeah, I was asking myself in preparation for our conversation. And as I, as I tried to go back and back and further back, I'm, first of all, I'm realizing that I'm having more and more difficulty remembering the, the memories of when I was much younger, in part because when you get to a certain point, everything kind of like um, kind of meshes into one great blob of memory. <laughs> but I do have, and it just crossed my mind, I do have almost a vivid recollection of traveling to the different churches Holy Thursday as a little mm -hmm. boy with my sister and mother. And what I remember is the contrast between walking the streets, which were very dark, and then entering into church and being, you know, almost confronted by the lights around the tabernacle. It was almost as if there was darkness outside. You come into church, there is kind of like shadows because the lights have been reduced in the body of the church. But then you get to the tabernacle and then there's this bright light with the candles and the lights and all the rest. And it, 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 just on the level of aesthetics and symbol, it just, it, it speaks of a light in the darkness, which we oftentimes associate with Christmas, but it also is very much intimately a part of the Paschal mystery, right? And the quiet of those visits on Holy Thursday, which growing up, you know, those days, there were lots of people coming to Mass. There was always a bit of confusion and all the rest and commotion and lots of activity and singing. You know. But just sitting there, I think it was the first, it may actually have been the first experience I had of Eucharistic adoration in my life. Mm-hmm. Interesting, no? Yeah. And that sticks in my mind all these years. The other thing is much older, the other vivid recollection I had and have is when I was the pastor of St. Dominic's in Brooklyn, and we participated as a parish in the procession for Good Friday. And of course, I went many times as an auxiliary bishop too to lead it, but... Um, 
uh, I'm not even sure how to express this. It was, you know, when people kind of huddle together when it's cold, there was one particular a good Friday evening that was just bitterly cold. And you know how people huddle together and when they huddle together, it almost is reduced to a whisper, hmm. right? And even though there were thousands and thousands of people, the parishes kind of congregated on their own. And it almost struck me as kind of like what would have happened in the middle of the thunderstorm and rain that followed the Lord's crucifixion when the ladies who were faithful, the same experience they had walking home. It was dark, it was cold, it was rainy. And they almost like bundled their cloaks around themselves, but huddled almost as a group. In that case, most certainly crying, but whispering, perhaps praying. It almost made me feel as if I was, I was reliving the passion narrative. Isn't that interesting? It, so it wasn't the most vivid memories I've had are not celebrating the events, although I've had, I have memories of them and, and they were beautiful occasions. But it was these other almost offhand experiences where we talk about there's opportunities for encountering Christ. It happens in, in the strangest ways. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have others too. So you think of a few more. I'll okay. keep going. Okay. I remember being auxiliary bishop, not very long, going to Carroll Gardens for their Good Friday procession, which was much smaller than the one we had in Bensonhurst. And it was the first time that I actually reflected upon uh, the sorrowful mother's role in the crucifixion, because in that procession, it's actually a bifurcated procession. So Our Lady starts from one place, Our Lord starts from another place, and then they meet together halfway through, right? Now, for me, that is a provocative moment. And it was, again, it was this huge crowd coming together. And then there was almost like a quiet, like a hush. That was so striking to me. And I immediately began to imagine in my mind's eye what it was like for Our Lady to have met our Lord, okay, on the road to crucifixion. So in the Stations of the Cross, we say Jesus meets his afflicted mother. Right? We know for sure that Our Lady encountered the Lord all right, when he was taken off of the cross. And St. Alphonsus Liguori, in his version of the stations, says that it's Our Lady herself who placed his body in the tomb, that arranged his body in the tomb. So we know the Pietà, we know that. Um, but Our Lady's encounter with the Lord in his, in his Via Crucis, right, in the Via Dolorosa, certainly happened. Right? We don't have much of an account of what that looked like. Whatever, Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, remember? You remember yes. that scene? Can you describe yes. it for us? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene and John were trying to navigate the crowds to get to where Jesus was so that she could see him on his way mm -hmm. with the cross. Mm -hmm. And uh, as they're coming down one side alley, 
Jesus is passing by and he falls right there. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody who has seen it, I mean, this scene where there's a, um, a flashback and a, a comparison to Mary watching Jesus fall now with the cross and her watching her young son, Jesus, fall and uh, the emotions that, uh, that are evoked here. Um, I don't even know how to describe it, but... Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's not easy to describe that to your point. Because Our Lady was told, right, who this child was mm-hmm. by the archangel. She knew who he was. She saw his ministry. So the great disconnect that having that same Lord being in this position is incomprehensible to the human intellect. Right? So normally one would just simply question, react, but whatever, however Our Lady responded, that was not the response. But like a mother, all the memories come flooding back. See, I think memories are powerful. Memories in our age are being discounted. Memories are, they teach. Memories are, are an opportunity for encountering Christ because we can learn from past events in a new way with the passage of time, right? In one of our earliest podcasts, we spoke about uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? I think so, yes. Yeah. And, and the comment I made is that Lincoln was, upon his death, Lincoln was seen by the majority of Americans alive at the time and most of the free press as a complete failure, just a complete failure. And yet we remember him as one of the greatest presidents because the passage of time and the memory has helped to clarify the real meaning. Yes, same thing yep. here. But in a, we do it in the things of faith, but what about in our own lives? So one of the things perhaps that could be a very good spiritual exercise during this triduum is in the presence of Christ is to remember, to remember our own personal journeys and how he has walked with us in all the Easter's that we have had, all the Good Fridays we have had, because those moments can help us, right? Like, like I'm attempting to do here, it can help us to recapture what we lost when it first happened, but we could now recapture it as we remember it, if that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know I spoke about this before, and if I were a pastor now, I would do it. And I've been, it's funny, I, um, I was at St. Peter's for confirmation this past Saturday in Bridgeport. And Father John Gomez mentioned that um, he has also done it in the past, and that is the entombment of Jesus. Do you do that in your parish? I don't think so. Yeah, the entombment of Jesus. Now, the custom in the Middle Ages was the entombment of Jesus actually oftentimes happened in a cemetery. Hmm where they would have constructed uh, an artificial cave and put Jesus to rest there. But not roll the stone, just allow people in the midst of our human death to contemplate what it means that the human life of God freely gave up that life. I did it within the church and we constructed a cave in the church. 
And at the end of the Good Friday service, we we there was the the a statue life size of Jesus who is reclined, dead, taken off from the cross, and how four ladies accompanied him and then entombed him. And let me tell you something. I, I, to this day, I remember having to fight back tears when everybody left. See, when everybody was there, you know, as pastor, as a priest, you know, it's the old stiff upper lip and it's, you have to be there and people come to ask you questions. But you see, the, the great privilege of being the pastor and living in the church, right, is when everybody's gone, you could still stay, which is exactly what I did. And then you could just be you. Yeah. Now, of course, that may be foolish on my part. You know, maybe at least in those days when I was younger, it was almost like you have to be strong for your people. But maybe now at this point in my life, it is what it is. But then, so I, I was fighting back tears because, again, it was almost like there's nobody left. There's nobody here. There's nobody left. How is that different from Calvary? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's well, Excellency, what you're saying makes total sense because it's like, you know, the apostles when other people were around and the apostles had to kind of manage what was happening and, and all the activity. And then when it was just Jesus and them alone, now it's time to just be with the master. And that's what you're describing so right. beautifully. Right. Yeah. And I remember we had it lit above. I forget it was spotlight, whatever it was. I, I, I couldn't tell you. And um, so, you know, being a good pastor, you turn the lights off before you go to, before you lock up the church. I mean, when you mm-hmm. fully lock up the church. When I turned the light off and there was pitch darkness, I, 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 I can't quite describe how that made me feel, but like empty. Of course, the Eucharist was gone. The tabernacle, that light was gone. There was no light. There was nothing. Yeah. So in stark contrast to the the night before as a little boy, when you go from the darkness into the light, here we went from the lights to the light to complete darkness, right? I wonder to myself if with our young people that we couldn't overcome some of the static they feel and some of the inability to focus their attention, their over-informational life, right? They're, you know, like the the Roadrunner cartoons and Bugs Bunny, <laughs> they used to have tilt with the big, the tilt. Yeah. Right? They're living tilt with all capital letters. Right? Uh, yes. I yes. wonder if, if a powerful way to catechize in the path of beauty is to give them these experiences that I am just describing that I had, both as yeah. a young boy and as a young priest. Yeah. Does that really need a lot of explanation in the moment? I don't think so. No. You're stripping away all that noise. Yeah. Visual, audio, all of it. Yeah. And right. Right. And then you're naturally you're naturally going to be attracted to what's before you because it's the only thing that is engaging you. Mhm. But then it speaks without words. It speaks in a way that the church has intuited from its earliest times, right? The great fires of Pentecost, 
the Paschal candle lit in the darkness, all right? It's the entering into the waters of baptism. It's the crush, right, that gets lit up on, on, uh, on Christmas Eve. It's the purple cloth around statues. I mean, I could go on and on and on. I am so delighted that in our diocese, a lot of this is being reclaimed again. Yes. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it just goes to show that like, you need the, the sensory experience as a human to be all a part of the spiritual experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, so I, I, get, I celebrated Mass for the members of the Diocesan Young Adult Council this past Saturday. And my homily to them was this. Do you want to be, do you wish to celebrate the events of Holy Week and be encouraged by them? Or do you want to enter into the mysteries of Holy Week and be transformed by them? The first is good. The second is much better. Yes. Yeah. And to say, what's the difference between the two? The difference between the two could be, could be something the father spoke about, Ignatius used to speak about, right? And that is with the use of religious imagination, enter into the events and enter into the events, not as your individual spectator, but enter into the events through the eyes of one major figure in the narrative. And try to feel what you thought he or she felt, to see what he or she saw. And do it in such a way that you allow your imagination to be able to kind of almost recreate in the power of grace what the event was, but not you, but the person who is accompanying you. And maybe on the other side of the break, we could talk a little bit more about what this could look like for me. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. All right, so this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. We're in the middle of Holy Week, and uh, His Excellency is just walking us through the next uh, three, four days. And uh, we'll continue when we come back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. 
The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Um, so, Excellency, let's just pick up right where you left off yeah. with entering into yep. the passion. Yep, yep, yep. So uh, f- I'll give you a couple of examples of what I mean. Let's start with John the Apostle. So John loved the Lord deeply. He was the rabbi who chose him and saw in him the possibility of walking in his footsteps. So as a young man to have such an affirmation from someone that you obviously admired is phenomenally formative. And then to walk with him all those years and literally be formed at his feet, it almost becomes like a, a father, right, to a son, but even more than a natural father. So that's why he had the courage that the other apostles didn't have, starting with Peter, and was there to the end. Now, you alluded to the fact that he, in the in the movie, he was the one who helped to facilitate the Magdala and Our Lady to to actually encounter Christ right on the on the road. There's a brashness there. There's a courage there. There's a fire there. Maybe because of youth. See, that's youth on fire for faith yes. in Christ. Right. That it's like get out of my way because <laughs> this is where we're going now. Right. What do you think? If you put yourself in the position of being at the Last Supper, how 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 did John feel when Jesus turned to Judas and said, "It is you who say so. Go do what you must do." Mm-hmm. I mean, it, what would your reaction have been? Forget. I mean, I'm not exactly sure what I would have said. I probably would have dived over the table to strangle him. Yeah. To be honest, that shows you how much redemption I need. <laughs> okay. But, and, and, and all the emotions, not understanding, worrying, anxiety, Gethsemane, and yet falling asleep, like, and then being at Calvary, and now everything kind of like just falling apart. And yet he continued to be faithful. At a young age. Yes. So what is it John can teach me by walking with me in Holy Week that I do not have now? Right? Which is interesting. If I could use just one other, uh, Nicodemus or Joseph Arimathea. Nicodemus came to Jesus when? Early on. At night. Yes. Oh, yes. In John 3. Yes. yes. At night. Mm-hmm. Because fascinated starting to have a, a movement and say, well, maybe this man is the one, but I'm going to hedge my bets <laughs> this way. I have my position. I have my money. I have all the rest. I'm in Sandrin, you know, I, not let, let's not get fanatical about it. Right? <laughs> right. And yet what did he see through all of this and how did it bring him to such conviction? So is, so in his death, in his passion and suffering and death, he came to such conviction that he claimed the body of Jesus, which would have branded him as a, as a Christian. I mean, right. if there were other heads to roll, you're the first one to go. 
Yes. Yep. So what 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 was the spiritual um, what what was the spiritual homework happening? What how did he come to such conviction when the apostles had just the opposite effect? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if you walk with Joseph and Nicodemus, right? You either of them, right? You, um, I think they have something to teach us in the spirit that will make us different on the other end of Holy Week. You yeah. must have some examples too, my friend. No. Yeah. Well, so I mean, but first on uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, it just occurs to me that exactly what you're saying, Excellency, the apostles were public in their following of Jesus, mm -hmm. but when the crunch time happened, they disappeared. Mm -hmm. And these guys who kind of hid their Christianity in public, mm -hmm. but when crunch time happened, boom, they were there. And mm -hmm. which ones are we? Um, well said, well asked, well asked. And what was missing in the apostles that happened to Joseph, Arimathea, and Nicodemus that eventually happened to the apostles after Pentecost? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm fascinated, Excellency, by... Um, so you had the the faithful followers, John and the, Mary and the women, mm -hmm. and you got uh, these secret followers that you just mm -hmm. mentioned, mm -hmm. and and right there, standing next to Jesus the whole time is a pagan, mm -hmm. Roman centurion, mm -hmm. who has this moment. Can mm -hmm. you can you help us dive into into that man? Uh, wow, my goodness, uh, again. What a fascinating way to go through Holy Week, Holy Week through his eyes. What a fascinating thing that would be. But let's, let's, let's speculate a bit, if we could, right? So this is a man who obviously is well-regarded in his legion because this troublemaker, who had the potential of being a major troublemaker even after death, as Matthew speaks of, right? So he was the one trusted to be up front. And I would surmise that he was, the, the ones who were crucified Jesus were chosen in part because they could be trusted by Rome, hmm. right? So this was the, 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 top, the top crew. So let's keep that back in the back of our minds. He represented then the very best of what Rome had to offer which is blind loyalty, brute military might, and the, the tyranny of fear for those who fell out of favor or caused trouble. He represented all that. So in the moment when Rome was exercising its victory, quote unquote, over Christ, was the moment that he came to faith. What happened? My speculation is that at the moment he thought Rome would say, this is yourself at your best, is when he realized that Christ was at his best and he was at his worst. And if I had to venture an absolute moment, I wonder whether or not it was the Lord's dialogue with the two thieves. Where if Jesus followed the path of Rome, he would have lashed out at the one 
and struck dead the other. <laughs> and he did neither, but mm -hmm. he was merciful. So now you have the ultimate act of unmercy, which is the crucifixion, mm -hmm. and an ultimate act of mercy for the man, for all his sins, did not have to go through any purgation. This day you will be with me in paradise. Yes. Except for Our Lady, nobody else that I'm aware of, right? So you see just diametrically opposed. And somehow he intuited that what he represented was hollow and what he saw was real. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. He probably, he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't there for the when uh, Jesus said that no one takes my life from me, but I offered no. of my own accord. Uh -huh. But he definitely saw it right there uh -huh. in that moment. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. You know, there are examples of that where a person believes so firmly and so purely in something that um, his example or her example, either one, mm -hmm. is so compelling that it rearranges the life of somebody else. I think that's what you have. I think the soldier's name, right? Is is that a Genesius? No, I forget now. Oh uh, no, it's um, I don't think it's that Excellency. No. It was uh, I I have to think about it. I can't remember off the top it's, of my head. See, I'm senile now, so I don't remember. Oh okay, yeah. Maybe you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you say you're senile now? Yes. Oh, I thought you said. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you said I'm seeing into it now. <laughs> Ooh, a moment of brutal oh, honesty. <laughs> <laughs> Look at how red my face is. Oh, my word. <laughs> oh, this is priceless. I love it. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but you see, but but go back to the soldier, whatever his name is. Uh, yes. Longinus. Oh, Longinus? Yes, I think that's it. Yes. Okay, so I'm not as senile as you, th as you think. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but do you see the power of grace? Yes. Right. Grace. Because he didn't have to be there. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then what for his life? So I guess in a sense, it shows how if in a moment when you do open your heart, what grace can do. Because in that moment, perhaps of doubt and saying, well, what's really going on here? And then, of course, all the events that happened after the crucifixion would have confirmed it for him. Right? Right. What about walking through with the Sanhedrin? How about Caiaphas? Oh, I was just, yes. How about Caiaphas? Oh, oh, Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate. I mean, so in Matthew, I wash my hands clean of this man. What's well, a coward, actually? But he's another one who was just looking for a promotion, right? He wanted to get out of the backwater and go back to headquarters in Rome, mm -hmm. right? Washed his hands. His wife says, don't do it. First of all, what do you think his wife would have said when he got home? Right? Yes. Was she further tormented, I wonder, in her dreams afterwards? And do you actually think Pontius Pilate was not keenly aware of what was going on, listening to what was going on afterwards? And what do you think he felt when earthquakes and mm -hmm. stones shattered? The soldier came to faith. What did he come to? We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There's a tradition that says that uh, his wife converted to Christianity mm -hmm. afterwards. Mm -hmm. But we don't know much about him. Yeah. It's fascinating. Right. And Caiaphas. 
unbelievable. Of all the figures in in the passion narrative, and forgive me if this sounds judgmental, but Caiaphas and the cohort, the Sanhedrin, who condemned Jesus, um, I wonder if their own self-righteousness kept them blind all throughout the events. Because in every age of life, religious people, even in our own age, are capable of tremendous self-righteousness that makes them blind to what others who are less righteous but more honest see better. So they are in a long line up to this present age of religious people who can do an awful lot of damage. That's very convicting. Mm-hmm. For everybody. Yes, well, I'm, sure, I'm sure I've been guilty of that all the yeah. time. <laughs> so have I. So have I. Right. So again, this is not a question of throwing stones. And I think we always, always, always have to remind ourselves that Jesus was a victim of capital punishment administered by the Roman Empire. Right. So the 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 terrible legacy among Christians of anti-Semitism against the Jews because of what happened to the Lord has to stop in all its forms, in every single one of its forms. And we cannot tolerate it in any manifestation at all. Yes. But nonetheless, so anyway, so, so I'm going to challenge everybody and then please, Steve, I'm going to challenge everybody who's listening. Okay. We're going to show this. This is being, this is going to be shown on Wednesday of Holy Week, correct? Yes. Yep. Okay. So you have the balance of today to choose. Who, through whose eyes are you going to walk Holy Week? And in your prayers, find some time tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to imagine and ask the grace of the Holy Spirit to imagine. Have this person walk with you, teach you, help you to see something you never saw before, experience something in the power of grace that could make Easter a truly more liberating moment. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, what were you going to say, my friend? So I was, I just thought of Simon of Cyrene would be another good one to try that. Oh, I know. uh, The reluctant to do good. Yes. (laughs) What I was going to say, Excellency, is just that, um, so you said that Jesus was the victim of Roman uh, prosecution, Mm -hmm. but- um, may I uh, ask about that word victim? Because oh yeah, of course, yeah, of course, of course, yeah, exactly. Because victim implies it was done to him. In fact, in Jesus, both is true. That is that he permitted all of this to happen, right? So he's not a victim as we are a victim, right? Because we don't have control over the events of our lives, right? And therefore. We are in some way subject to them. Jesus freely gave over his life. So he's not a victim in the same way that you and I are victims. But nonetheless, having given the consent for the events to unfold, he was freely, but nonetheless subjected to what Rome was doing to him. So. Yeah. Thank you for raising that because it's 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 a nuanced understanding of what that word is. 
Otherwise, it's play acting. And it's right. not play acting either. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. It could not have happened without him, without his consent. But once he gave consent, he fully entered into the subjugation that w- made the passion what it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that just uh, just ran through my head as you were talking, Excellency, is that even the men who were scourging him at the pillar, mm. the very breaths that they took mm-hmm. were only because he willed it. <laughs> because he loved them. Yes. How so could you crazy. love somebody who's scourging you? It's so crazy. Well, I mean, but, but, but see, it's the passion brings about the great paradox of Christian life. And the paradox is we are to choose to do the good of those who harm us when the natural inclination is to do equal harm back to those who harm us. So that point, and and the thing that kind of crosses my mind is the men who scourged Jesus were probably, they did it for a living. So consider how many people they scourged. And you either take sadistic pleasure in it, and I'm sure there were some who did, or you just become numb to the suffering of people around you. Either way, you're dead. You're biologically alive, but you're spiritually, emotionally dead. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah, so imagine. It, it, quite, it's quite... It's quite the odyssey we are being invited to enter into these next five days. And if people who claim to be Christian do not take the time to celebrate these days wisely, fruitfully, silently, quietly, then you're losing an opportunity that, quite frankly, can't be lost. (laughs) Yeah. It can't be lost. So, uh, in in the final minutes that we have, um, next week mm-hmm. in the in the in the post Easter Sunday show, I'd like to ask you to give parts of or your whole homily from Easter Sunday yep. or the vigil. But yep. for today, mm-hmm. do you have anything that you haven't said yet from your holy coming Holy Thursday or Good Friday? services uh, that you have planned for your homily that you want to kind of give those of us who aren't going to be able to see you? Yeah, I think uh, the homily I gave on Palm Sunday, I'm going to give a fuller version and a a, a variation on Good Friday. And it is, in the end, the answer to this question, what are you looking for? What are, what, what are you and I really looking for in our life? And quite frankly, the crucifixion and what it gives to us, what it reveals to us, what it says to us, is the answer to the deepest desires of the restlessness of the heart that Augustine speaks of. It's the only place, almost ironically, it's the only place where we can find true rest, and so when we come out on the other end, yeah, we'll talk about Easter and what I'm going to. Yeah, thank you for the heads up too. Yeah, <laughs> of course, <laughs> a subtle way to to let you yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I guess uh, 
uh, one final thing then that I'd mm-hmm. like to ask you about excellency is, um, uh, confession mm-hmm. because, uh, this is Lent especially, but especially Holy week is a time when people really, I think, mm-hmm. uh, if, if there's one time of the year that they're like, you know what, I should think about this going back mm-hmm. to confession. So, um, yeah. Exhort us. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So the bottom line is this past Monday, we had Reconciliation Monday. I hope many of our listeners took advantage of the Centers of Mercy and went to confession, right? Because the forgiveness of sins is a gracious, if one is sorry for their sins, it's a gracious gift that God gives, right? So, I mean, but there's still time. And I think yes. there's not a priest who, if you approach him, will not find the time to be able to hear our the confession of our sins. I think in the end, what's the proper response when we stand before the cross of Jesus Christ? I just described my experience in the entombment. But before the cross, contemplating in the end that it is our sins that in part right, put him on that cross and, and he is atoning them for us and showing us how much he loves us. Isn't that the moment where we have to be honest with ourselves and say, the times I have sinned are the times I chose someone or something else over this Lord and his love for me. Isn't that the moment to just lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, I'm sorry. I really am sorry. Yeah. So if there was a time for confession, my goodness, this, these are the dead. This is it. Right? This is it. Yes. Yes. It's all true all year round, but this is the one that should move and and I move people to go. And quite frankly, even when I was pastor, this these were the days when people who were away for 30, 40, 50 years came back. Right? So I absolutely want to if you have not gone this past Monday, then I'm sure there are pastors and parishes who will still have confessions even tonight and just find, find your way to a priest to have yeah. your sins confessed. Mm-hmm. It is, it is so healing. Mm-hmm. So healing. And as St. Teresa of Avila used to tell people as they came out of the confessional begin again. Yeah. So right. It's the exactly. opportunity. Great. So this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. We're in the middle of Holy Week, and uh, we're going to have a listener question for His Excellency right when we come back from the break. Hey, it's Matt from Restless on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Each week on Restless, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed up world. Join us each Friday at noon on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, the Veritas app, or wherever you get your shows. Hope to see you there. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. All right, Excellency, here's the question that came in this week. It says, Dear Bishop Caggiano, the Old Testament tells the stories of the Jews as God's chosen people in the Old Covenant. Now, with Jesus instituting the new covenant, are the Jews still God's chosen people? Simple answer is yes. And they always will be. Because God does not repent of his promises. God says what he means. In the scriptures, in the New Testament, we say, Jesus said, right, this is my body. 
and he means what he says. In juxtapose to others who say it's a symbol, it's a sign, it's commemoration. So too, in the, in the Jewish scriptures, God promises the land for the Jewish people forever. He promises a covenant for them, more than one, that I will be your God and you will be my people. You will be my people. And those promises never end. Now, what's the relationship then between those promises and Christ? Obviously, Christ is the fulfillment of every promise, including those of the Old Testament. So the bottom line is, they are God's chosen people, and we are also God's chosen people in Christ. We are actually part of the mystical body of Christ. Awesome. So if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in on social media or email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And we'd like to thank our sponsor, Foundations in Faith. It's a grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Thank you, Excellency. Um, well, listen, my friend, have a happy and blessed Holy Week and a joyful Easter. Thank you. Thank you. You too. And uh, I'd like to ask that if you could give all of us uh, your blessing before we Certainly. go today. Certainly. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As we begin this intimate journey with your Son, Jesus, in the moments of his suffering, passion, and death, may your Holy Spirit guide and bless us, Father that we may arrive at the empty tomb with minds and hearts renewed, ever more convicted of the great grace you have given us to be your adopted children and to be the heralds of the message of salvation in the crucified and risen Lord. Bless us, bless all whom we love, and bless the days ahead. For we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and don't eat too much on Easter. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <See, thank you. laughs> I will see you next week, my friend. Ciao.